The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Hello and happy Friday everyone. Welcome to the Scorebox. Here are your headlines today. An AI-fueled rally snaps the Dow and S&P out of a three-day losing streak. With announcements from Alphabet and AMD pushing Wall Street higher ahead of today's non-farm payrolls report. Japan's yen rallies to a four-month high against the dollar, while the Nikkei trades sharply lower on comments from the BOJ's governor that the central bank could unwind its ultra-loose policy. WTI rises above $70 a barrel, but crude prices stay on track for their seventh straight week of losses even as Russia and Saudi Arabia call on more OPEC members to join their output cuts. And the German finance minister tells CNBC that the EU's new fiscal rules need to be realistic, adding that he is confident that his own budget crisis will be resolved soon. The political uh, agreement uh, about the structure of the uh, next year's uh, budget uh, is likely um, to be made uh, in um, a couple of days. Let's take a look at the market yesterday. Uh, still appetite for stocks, uh, particularly on the Nasdaq, and one point uh, foremost to the upside. Similar vein of what we've seen over the course of this week. Communication services stocks, much sought, but energy left behind. And uh, those laggards are on the Dow, of course. So that market only up 62 points or less than two-tenths of a percent versus very strong gains elsewhere across on the S&P to the Nasdaq. In terms of top performers, uh, Goldman Sachs for the Dow across to the likes of the S&P, it was Alphabet and uh, those big-name tech stocks. Let's take a look. A lot of it was, again, an AI rally, but just touching the sides of different stocks now. Uh, the likes of AMD, for instance, are nearly 10% to the upside as it announced new chips to power faster AI training. So again, as uh, the markets focus on the AI hype, they're getting some real news flow about who are going to be the main players in the AI race. Alphabet, again, coming back to the table with more around its offering. Gemini AI model to take on OpenAI's ChatGPT. The uh, news flow just driving the stock up another five odd percent. But across the board, you could see gains, just stronger ones in some of those AI names. Meta stock up 2.8%. NVIDIA in the game, 2.4% in the green too, as we talk about other big AI players in tech universe. To treasuries and the market very much fixated on the data this week. The fact we've had a lot of cover for those communication services, tech stops because of the jobs data. And the big question is whether non-farm payrolls today also plays ball, whether we get softer cues coming through from the big daddy of jobs numbers. So at the two-year, we've got to 2.60, and you can see we've faded so far off that 5% mark in recent weeks. We're now almost hugging that 4% line on the 10-year, 4.15%. The yield story and what it has meant for the dollar. Let's take a, a quick look at the trade. In fact, uh, it's uh, a story that's not really so much about the dollar today. You can see it uh, is showing a little bit of strength versus sterling euro, but not against the Japanese yen. And that's been quite key. The market closely watching indications uh, through in the last number of sessions as to whether the Bank of Japan will change course, whether that's going to come through some signaling in December or in January. The five-year uh, JGBs are also moving, witnessing their most aggressive sell-off in a decade. And of course, that yield differential with the currency 
having some bearing. 143.92, so we've plunged under the 144 level now on that dollar-yen rate. But let's come back to the data because it is one of the big drivers for markets. U.S. weekly jobless claims rose slightly last week, with 220,000 Americans filing for unemployment benefits. This matched wider forecasts. The new figure indicates that layoffs in the U.S. jobs market remained low, even as companies cut back on hiring to save costs. Now, I mentioned the payrolls report. Let's just put some markers out there. The U.S. economy is expected to have added 190,000 jobs in November. That's according to Dow Jones estimates, up from 150,000 in October. The unemployment rate, many are still watching this very closely. Don't forget we've only ticked up a fraction of what half of a percent odd from the lows. The unemployment rate is set to remain steady, so 3.9%. So there will be some fascination around this level for any movement. Well, the average hourly earnings forecaster have picked up month on month 0.3%. And this is also key as we look at the, the average hourly earnings over the course of a year, whether we're seeing any of that pressure come off. The market's still looking for that as the wage price spiral has been an issue around the inflation story and whether we can get to the lower 2% range could be also driven by the, the wage story. So this is another key segment of the payrolls report later on today. The stronger employment reading could undermine investor or any strong reading could undermine investor confidence that the Fed's adjusting its rates path. Let's take a look at the Asian markets and what we've got as a result. You can see um, the Japanese market again reacting to this uh, story around the BOJ. We're down 1.7% there. Hong Kong stocks moving into the green. Only modest though across the board. And you can see Australia up about a third of a percent. Australian market also watching whether there's a big deal between Santos and Woodside in the resources space. Let's just dive into that Japanese yen story. The yen has hit a four-month high against the dollar, maintaining its rally since Bank of Japan Governor Kazuo Ueda said the central bank will look at wages and service prices as part of its monetary guidance. A sign market participants read as an imminent move towards tightening its ultra-loose policy. So uh, we mentioned on the JGBs uh, the fairly significant rally we've had uh, on the five-year in particular. That's where the market has been moving fairly aggressively. And along with the 10-year, you can see it on both of these trades. This is the, the sharpest move we've seen in a long time on that uh, yield story out of uh, the uh, Japanese market. 0.35% and you can see 0.77 on that yield is what we're now seeing out of the 10-year. The third quarter GDP in Japan has fallen more than forecast, slowing to 2.9% year-on-year. Capital expenditure declined 0.4%, while consumption, which makes up over half of the economy, dropped by 0.2%. The latest prints could pose a challenge for the Bank of Japan as it looks to adjust its monetary policy. Speaking earlier on Capital Connection, Julian Lafargue from Barclays Private Wealth, a private bank, said the outlook for the export-oriented Nikkei remains challenged. We've talked about the, the end of uh, yield curve control for, for a while now. I think each day uh, brings us closer to, to that point in time. Is it now the right time? It, it, it's hard to, un, to, to be sure uh, of that. But clearly, uh, in the current context globally, um, the Japan is, is a standout. And, and we do expect that in the course of 2024, we're going to see some changes in terms of monetary policy there, uh, which could obviously help. Um, you know, reinforce, reinforce again in, in, in the short term. And, and basically, the local equity market is very uh, geared towards export. And therefore, uh, the outlook for uh, the Nikkei has to be linked to the outlook for, uh, for the yen. Crude prices are rebounding this morning, but are on pace for their seventh consecutive negative week. This follows Russian President Vladimir Putin's visit to Riyadh Thursday for hastily arranged talks with Mohammed bin Salman. 
after which the two countries released a joint statement urging fellow OPEC Plus members to adhere to the latest series of voluntary output cuts agreed last week. Let's get out to Dan for more. Dan, we've got the price ticking up a little bit in morning trade this morning. But that said, I think many are watching these uh, clues we're getting from both the Russians and the Saudis that they want some of these quotas adhered to. You've got it, Karen. And the reaction that we're seeing in oil right now is quite interesting. Analysts have been saying that the spike that we're seeing this morning could perhaps be based on some technical buying here because crude is actually on track to end the week about 5% lower. So we have seen a further pullback for both WTI and Brent, which has been absolutely fascinating to watch in the aftermath of two things. You pointed to one of them, which is this Putin visit that we've seen to Saudi Arabia and the UAE. The readout from the Kremlin on the meeting with Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman was really based on the fact that the two did discuss this oil partnership within OPEC Plus and, of course, talk about the message from the to the other producers as well, which was to ensure that they are maintaining compliance to the cuts. You'll recall that OPEC, of course, Saudi Arabia, UAE, Russia and others agreed last week to these new voluntary cuts of about 2.2 million barrels per day, led by Saudi Arabia and Russia, rolling over their voluntary cuts of 1.3 million barrels per day. But the market reaction has been sanguine at best. The other factor to point out here is what we're seeing in China, because oil prices have really been cooling off this week in not just response to the weakening supply side dynamic, but also the demand side as well. Moody's moving to cut China's outlook from, uh, uh, to, to negative from stable. And while that doesn't immediately impact the oil sales or oil inventories, it does undermine confidence in the long term, longer mid to long term trajectory of demand. So as a result, we have seen prices cooling off perhaps on the China headlines here as well. It's back to you. Dan, just looking at the price moves on Brent for the past five years, you can see there have been other violent moves over the course of, say, 2022. There was a fairly significant leg down. We all know around the, the 2020 slump that we had to around the pandemic. So the moves this year in that context, if they look fairly extreme on a on one-year basis, to what extent are we looking at speculators being active in the market here? We know that the uh, Saudi Arabian energy minister has been telling them to watch out this year. Then they're now blaming some of these speculators for all the moves about a month ago. What do you think we're seeing in the market in terms of some of these big moves? Is it the speculators? Well, it's also really fascinating because this is something that the OPEC Plus leadership has really been targeting. Through the course of this year and through successive OPEC Plus meetings, we have seen the Saudi energy minister calling on speculators to stop their activity in this market. His view is that the focus should instead be on supply and demand and, of course, the management of inventories. And he has really, really urge those speculators to uh, to hold off. He says uh, they should watch out for some of OPEX plus moves because in the past he said they will be ouching. What's been interesting though is that the volatility in oil through the course of this year has been indeed something to watch. What we've seen is these OPEC plus decisions landing in the market but prices not necessarily reacting as you would expect and that maybe suggests that OPEC plus has less of an influence over the market. While they still are absolutely critical, 
in ultimately setting the uh, inventory direction here and ensuring market stability, there have been a lot of other factors that have been driving prices through the course of this year. I mentioned China, uh, but also what's happening in the United States and this rise in oil output that we have seen from the world's largest economy, that is likely to be something to watch in 2024. There's no question that U.S. oil output is also having a bigger influence on the market balance and market pricing from here. Dan, I want to just bring up the Russian conversation because it was one that was taking place between the Russians and Saudis this week in Riyadh. And there's a view, and Politico had a great report in this saying that, look, sanctions are not working, that the Russians consistently selling above that $60 cap. So does it matter to the Russians what the price looks like at this stage? It does indeed, because within the OPEC Plus group, the conversation this year has been based on the fact that we could perhaps see you know, some suggestions that OPEC was moving to ensure uh, price stability that would enable Russia to continue to fund its war in Ukraine. I actually had a very interesting conversation with the Assistant Secretary for Energy Resources uh, of the United States this week at the Atlantic Council event, which was being hosted at COP28. And he said that no one has done a better job to uh, basically encourage an energy transition in Europe than Vladimir Putin. And of course, we have seen the Russian leader visiting the Gulf this week. Um, with regards to the outlook from here, though, you really do um, have to wonder what the trajectory of this relationship is going to look like. China. Um, is uh, central to watch. But we have seen um, Russia also becoming increasingly important in the geoeconomic um, conversation here. So look, what happens to prices moving forward is ultimately in the hands of uh, Saudi Arabia uh, and Russia uh, and the United States here, Karen, I, I would contend. Dan, thank you for drawing that all together for us in what has been a fairly big moving week for the oil price. Coming up on the show, it's been a big week too for AI news and Arjun is going to join us to break down the latest next. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. Alphabet shares have surged in trade after the company launched its new AI model, Gemini, as it looks to make up ground in the AI race. AMD shares also saw a boost, with Microsoft and Meta, among others, committing to use its new AI chip. Arjun joins us with plenty more. Arjun, just walk us through the latest developments in the AI world. Yeah, a lot happening this week, Karen. I'll kick off with Google, which has finally released its answer to OpenAI's big large language model as well called Gemini. Now, this is likely going to be featured in every single Google product uh, moving forward as Google looks to infuse everything from search to Gmail with AI as well. Uh, this is going to power Google's own chatbot as well uh, called Bard. Uh, and this, is, as I mentioned, is Google's answer to OpenAI's chat. GPT and GPT-4. Investors cheering the news about the launch here. Now, the big question is, how will Google monetize this? It's likely to sell this to its cloud unit, but what's going to be the big boost to Google? And will it see similar games to that seen by Microsoft? Second big story here as well is about a brand new chip 
from AMD called the MI300X. This is AMD's answer that, again, investors have been waiting a long time for uh, to NVIDIA's H100, and it's aimed to offer an alternative to NVIDIA for the uh, chips that are able to train these huge AI models that underpin some of these big applications as well. Microsoft and Meta amongst the partners or, or customers already that have committed to buying this chip. Now, it's hard to know how this is going to perform in the real world, but the specs are, are very high end as well. And we'll wait and see how customers respond. But clearly, if successful, could pre pre put pressure on NVIDIA. And that's why you saw AMD surging yesterday uh, in US. The final very interesting story relates to AI and geopolitics. Microsoft President Brad Smith visiting China and meeting with China's Commerce Minister Wang Wentao. Now they discussed AI to trade relations and on AI, China's Ministry of Commerce said it hopes Microsoft will play a quote, constructive role in cooperation on AI between China and the US. Now interestingly, this comes after the meeting between President Joe Biden and President Xi Jinping, in which the two said that they want to cooperate on areas such as AI safety as well. But clearly, AI caught in the middle of this massive US-China technology battle that is playing out right now. It's to be very difficult to see how these two sides are going to work together. But this meeting clearly, on China's point of view, is trying to signal that the world, or signal to the world, that China is open for business, and in particular, to foreign technology companies as well. And it comes after Tim Cook and Elon Musk both visited China this year, but clearly those technology tensions are set to continue between the US and China, Karen. Arjun, uh, let's talk about this a little bit further, but also I want to pick up on one regulatory story. EU lawmakers failed to reach an agreement on the bloc's AI Act after 22 hours of talks. Member states, the European Commission and the European Parliament have struggled to reach a consensus on the regulation, including whether to allow the use of AI facial recognition technology. Competition Commissioner Thierry Breton said talks will restart at 9am local time this morning. And the generative AI boom could have unintended consequences for the tech industry's water consumption. To find out more, you can check out uh, that story on cnbc.com. But let me pick up first up around the story with Alphabet, because what jumps out to me, it felt like they were buying some time in recent presentations around Gemini AI. How big a difference will this make to the company in terms of protecting the Google moat? Well, it seems investors feel it's going to protect the Google moat at the moment. You've seen that from the share price reaction. We know Google has had years and years of research into AI and it felt like just a matter of time before they made this big statement uh, around Gemini. The key I think here is going to be how does this stack up to OpenAI and their GPT uh, models as well. Google claiming you know pretty much beats OpenAI in so many areas as they would. Uh, but clearly uh, this is a product, uh, the model itself, which is going to be infused across the different portfolio uh, of Google from search uh, to Gmail and to everything else uh, as well. What we have seen with Microsoft, I think, is interesting in that the AI products they've been bringing to market has had a notable financial impact for the company. It's been uh, revenue positive. It's been helping their cloud business. Uh, and that's something that we've been waiting to see. What does it do for Google? I think that's the big question here. Google's likely going to sell this through its cloud product. Remember, is, uh, Google is, is behind the likes of Microsoft and Amazon in terms of market share in cloud. Um, how are they going to monetize this? Is this just going to be an add-on? Is this something they can sell? And I think these are some of the questions that investors will be asking after this announcement. At this point, we're talking about it being an extra in terms of subscription revenue, right? Sticky subscription revenue, which is what investors like. But there's also potential disruption here around ad revenues, right? If you get the product right, then the advertisers will also come and want to align alongside the product. Get it wrong, 
and they may not want to align, as we've seen with all the issues over social media in recent years. If the, if the AI doesn't work, if there's the so-called hallucinations where they throw up wrong search results or, or wrong information and advertisers are advertising against that, that's going to be a big problem. So there is a, an element of risk here with what Google's doing. I think they'll take it slow to some extent in, 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 as it relates to the ad parts of the business, that's for sure, uh, because obviously we know advertising is so critical to Google. Um, but you will, I think, very, very quickly see this product rolled out uh, across Google products. Shall we have a look at AMD? I mean, what we've seen this year in terms of the stock performance, it's been up 100%. So it's not been left behind, but the one we've been talking about the most has been NVIDIA. Uh, clearly, it has been the stock to, to buy around the chip story. But AMD now has these chips to help train the AI models uh, to, to make them go faster. How significant is that to NVIDIA? It's big. It's big. because, But, but we have to sort of temper that, that excitement that the rest of investors have had so far in saying, how is this going to perform in the real world? When customers such as Meta and Microsoft, which is committed to using this chip in some of their training uh, processes, when they use this, what are they going to find out? Is this as good as NVIDIA's chip? Does this stack up? Um, it offers an alternative, and that's important for, I think, a lot of tech companies. One, for, for supply chain risk, uh, but two, just to be able to diversify the, the suppliers that they're relying on as well. They don't want all their eggs in one basket in terms of NVIDIA. So this is big. I think if the AMD uh, uh, semiconductor proves to be something that can stack up to NVIDIA, um, and you know, perhaps is a bit more affordable as well for many companies, that could put a lot of pressure on NVIDIA and really you know, temper some of the excitement um, that stock has seen. One of the other big uh, issues has been regulation and just to what extent we see it forthcoming from Europe, it seems as though lawmakers have got a problem getting this AI legislation across the line. Uh, talks are, are happening potentially globally with the companies. Microsoft, for instance, we're talking about engaging with the Chinese. To what extent do we get regulation, whether that is a European-based first up or some sort of global accord involving the Chinese? Yeah, well, I thought, you know, the EU AI Act, which was sort of first, I think, proposed in 2021, um, and it was moving very quickly. There were expectations that this would be a done and dusted deal at this point. But what happened was uh, 2021, this was pre-chat GPT. Uh, OpenAI comes out with chat GPT, generative AI explodes. All of a sudden, this law isn't fit for purpose. And the lawmakers uh, were looking at generative AI and the large language models that underpin that said, well, we need to include those. The problem is many in the industry, many countries have felt that the regulations specifically on these models were too tough. For example, they include things like uh, proof of compliance with copyright, i.e. if you're training a model, what are you training it on? And does some of that infringe copyright? That can be quite a difficult thing to kind of note down. The other thing were uh, auditing obligations or registering that AI model in a database. Now, all of these things, um, many countries, France, Germany, Italy, have argued that actually this is too strict. This is going to hinder innovation in Europe. This is going to stop European companies being able to compete with the US and China as well. And France and Germany notably have two big AI companies in Mistral and, uh, and Aleph Alpha. So that's where we're at right now. Did you I thought this French company a big one? Wasn't this the French startup we are talking about earlier this <laughs> yeah. year that had uh, just, just started, was four yeah. weeks in the making, and suddenly was worth multi-million dollars or euros yeah. in any metric? I'm not going to say it's a bubble, but... 
Um, but, now, but now it's called a big one. It, now it's called a big one because yeah. it is seen as one of the, the hopes for Europe, although we haven't seen too much product from this company yeah. yet. So that's going to be interesting. I, guess, I think at this point we've got to, we have to remind the audience that it was only about this time last year we were talking about open AI and the capabilities that just took the world by a storm. So while we, we might want to accuse regulators and lawmakers of being on the back foot around AI, that their regulations are not fit for purpose, this has happened very, very quickly. And you, know, you and I have been at so many tech events together the years and we've seen this one just super um, sonic speed really take off versus other tech stories that have taken much longer to play out. Yeah, you're so right. This has felt so different, right? You're, it was just a year, a year ago we were talking about this and every tech event this year we've been to has, has literally just been about AI. People are the also, NFT signs came down. Yeah. Right? They, they were put down <laughs> and put out the back and the, the AI signs all went up. That's it. And, and people are asking me as well, what you know, what's the big theme for next year? Please don't say AI. It's going to have to be AI again. When we look at what's happening next year, Google has just come out with Gemini. You're going to expect a lot more announcements from them next year in terms of the product. Microsoft will continue to beat that AI drum when their earnings calls. That is going to be the theme. AMD, NVIDIA, all of these companies are going to be looking at uh, the development of this technology uh, as it pertains to uh, the, the speed of it, but also the regulators now, the EU AI Act hangs in the balance and could be hashed out today um, and over the weekend. We'll see. I thought it'd be a done and dusted deal at this point, but clearly uh, a lot of wrangling over specifically this generative AI portion, because if Europe gets this wrong, there is a huge risk here that Europe does fall behind the US and China. I do feel it is going to be a story of road rules, though, and what they look like next year, whether we've got the 30 miles per hour or the 50 to 70, (laughs) which we all know makes a difference. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com or join us again on the show with me, Steve Sedgwick, and Karen Cho, weekdays on CNBC.